Now the shotgun start in golf is full of mathematics. Um, there's a lot of a lot of setup work that we have to do in order to make a tournament work. So I'm going to demonstrate to you just exactly how we do a shotgun start here. And here we go. All right, all right, all right. Gentlemen, start your Greetings and welcome to a Friday edition of the Shotgun Start. It is July 14th. Andy, how we doing? Brendan, I'm doing great. I uh I'm standing here. I'm just ready to go. I'm getting I'm getting in the open championship mood. I'm not gonna lie. I'm dealing with like you? some major FOMO. I am Oh yeah. I, I am like uh you know, this year we are we are not over there. I and I'm I'm pretty Still upset time. about it. Do you think the radio coverage is going to suffer of the of this 151st Open Championship because we're not there? I think radio radio, Ro- radio Row is going to miss our presence. <laughs> I, I guess the good news is IMG can't shake us down for a couple thousand bucks, you know, for for, the, for all the all the radio yeah. coverage we did. You know that yeah, all the all the, all the technology, the radio transmission, to, you know, a desk and a piece of glass or whatever they gave us, you know, that yeah, shake us down. It's right. Um, we will talk about that, you know, in perpetuity. We will be bitching about <laughs> that. I think. Uh, can we something else we might talk about? Because we have follow-ups to the follow-ups to the follow-ups on the workout that shook the golf world to its core here at Live DC. We have a follow unsubstantiated rumor Friday, and by way of substantiation, just to put you on the level, just some listener of the program who ran into as Team Smash member at a baggage claim in an international airport. Wow! Um, what reporting <laughs> here? Chase Kepka, we'll just say it, Chase, a friend or a listener. Just met him in the oversized luggage waiting for his clubs at Heathrow. I introduced myself and chatted and eventually asked him how bad the workout really was or if this was all overblown. He said, it wasn't that hard and it was all lower body anyways. The way Coke Crack was worked up and was topping balls, you would have thought it was all arms, (laughs) especially given the trunks that he has. Uh, anyways, Chase was a nice guy, but when I when I asked about the workout, he didn't find it particularly funny. <laughs> so uh, I don't know, unsubstantiated potential conversation with Chase. Don't put it. Maybe for the record, maybe who knows? Could have been made up, but uh, yeah, more details on the workout. <laughs> I just uh, feel like all, all I feel like body. that couldn't be made up. <laughs> yeah, I agree. All over. I love. I like the the thought of Chase's face, like turning like less friendly once the subject of the workout came up. Very serious. That's the so, best. Like right. sometimes, sometimes I'll run into like a, a player. Yeah. You know, like I, I've had this happen before, where I've run into a player and I've started talking to them, and they're like super friendly, and then I'm like, oh yeah, I'm I'm in golf media, and they're like, oh <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> Oh yeah. yeah. Just the whole yeah, the yeah. whole disposition yeah. changes. And it's like, uh I thought this was just a nice guy. 
we're the bad guys. What are, what are we doing? We didn't do anything. I mean, hey, you, you got your leadership selling you down the river, apparently. If you want to talk about yeah. that, players coming out of Scotland, players are on the record uh, in Scotland. We have Xander Shoffley, who, you know, he says, I'd say, this is talking about Jay Monahan, subject to Jay Monahan return. I'd say he has a lot of tough questions to answer in his return. I don't trust easily. He had my trust. <laughs> And he has a lot less of it now. I don't stand alone when I say that. He'll have to answer a lot of tough questions when he comes back. Now, Xander doesn't trust easily. Uh, <laughs> I just like, I love that. <laughs> love that quote. Xander is a great player. Top 10 player in the world. He has a right to be pissed. He has a right to say whatever he wants. If Xander disappeared from professional golf tomorrow, I don't think the value of it or it, the impact would be felt. It would be negligible. Um, that said, he's a top 10 player and he certainly has. I think this is, I think this is one of the, the, the cruxes of some of the argument is like him and Cantley in particular. All right. They are great players. They are wonderful players and they want this giant bag of money. They don't like the pip. They want this giant bag of money, but they don't want to do any of the work that comes with the money. Like you get paid work. in this sport by having yeah. a personality, by being out in front, by being an ambassador for the game, by being, you know, like good with sponsors, like all these things. Entertain. Yeah. Sometimes you got to be a circus bear if you really want the millions. Engaging you know? with fans. And I, I, I think this podcast has, has, given Ricky Fowler shit over the years for how many, how many sponsorships he has. But like Ricky Fowler is an engaging human being in the ropes and he is out there signing autographs late with fans. He talks to the media. He's courteous. He's, he does all these things. He does all the right things like Xander and Cantley just want a big bag of money and don't want to do any of the other requisite things that comes with it. Like there is no free money out there in the world there. Sure. You can hit the lottery. That's it. But like, that's something you learn as life goes on and on and on more and more. So I think is like, nobody's doing you free favors for the most part. Everything comes with strings attached. And like one of the things if they were more engaging inside the ropes, outside the ropes, on social media, and they would they would make more money. Yeah. Yep. Um, so I think that quote betrays a set like kind of portrays Xander's sort of overinflated i would say a little bit maybe sense of position in the game like you're talking entitlement of of having it all i i don't think he's there yet he may win hey, he's a couple majors he, he took down That's one of the true. greatest olympians of all time the bfb <laughs> um, forget that he toppled the only rory that's ever won an olympic medal in golf we're coming up on the one year anniversary of that is that right what is it's it two right? years Two years. Uh, we're all screwed up because of COVID. J Tokyo, oh, I'm all over the place. Going back yeah. to that. That night, oh, trying to keep our eyes magic, open. A magical <laughs> night. 62 or whatever. I literally remember yeah. just like, just him powering Die. me through a night. 
Ah, I was I at went- the beach just trying to not to fall asleep. <laughs> oh, that was that was what a night. What a night. Um I mean, a high point speak. of a of a of a of a player's uh you know, a, an enduring player. Not not necessarily great, but a long standing player, the high point of his career. Um, Spieth, who I would say, regardless of what you think of his swing or his pre-shot routine, has stature, much more stature than Xander, is a needle of mover of some sort. More than a guy outside the ropes, just a guy inside the ropes. Commenting, you talk to a lot of the other players, it's been quite a shock from the get-go. I wouldn't say that there's enough details to be able to really comment on much on any concerns, because like if... If you ask me about something specifically, I could say I saw that somewhere and then I saw somewhere else that it wasn't a part of it. There's any disagreements. It won't work. We're very much in the dark. I don't sit on the board or the pack either anymore. So I really don't know. Jay is returning Monday and I'm sure as he starts to speak with you guys, the media, maybe things have gone further. Clearly, I think we would probably have liked to have seen him at the Senate hearing if he was able to do so just as a representative of the tour. But I don't know if there's anything that concerns me. I just hear, if you name one factor, I've probably heard yes and no on either side of it about every piece about every piece of it. So um, Scheffler adding, we really didn't learn a whole lot. He's talking about the Senate. You know, we don't have a lot of clarity as a tour player, what's going on. And that's a bit worrisome. They keep saying it's a player run organization and we don't really know, have the information that we need. I watched part of the hearing and I didn't learn anything. It's just a framework. Um, we're not involved in any of the discussions. Should I have been? Probably not. But I'm sure that a few of our player m- members should have been involved. Um, so you've got some heavy hitters there. Scheffler and Spieth and Xander, I guess, to a certain extent. He just, I mean, he comes across as the guy calling the shots, and he's not. Um, I, and I think, I think these players have valid claims, and I, I just want to go you know yes i I, I think totally listen this is exactly the way i would feel um and i think totally yes and i think it's probably really hard for them to trust um at this point um and i think i think i would look at i do believe at this point that the pga tour is doing everything they can to make a bad situation palatable i get i guess i just keep thinking you want to talk about a year ago yeah it was every persona non grata and guys off the scrap heap 48 and 50 year olds and everybody who was looking for work going to live people who needed gigs and the whole and now you know a year later you know they're kind of They've got a massive seat at the table. They're running they're running a significant part of this negotiation. How far they've come. We have a foreign government. I don't care if it's Norway that's just going to own part of a sports league. It's happened so fast and they're so all over the place as we record this. New York Times is reporting that the promise not to poach each other's players has been removed from the framework agreement. And this comes as a result of pressure from the DOJ antitrust inquiry review saying, you know, these probably get rid of that. You, you can't have that. Now it's kind of amusing. <laughs> this is in the course of negotiations. They promise not to recruit each other's or solicit each other's players. 
it's kind of amusing. Could the Saudis just be like, oops, whoops. Oh, oh, John Rahm ended up on our tour. Uh, does that, how does that influence our leverage now in these negotiations? I'm not saying they're going to do that, but it would be kind of an amusing thing for some, uh, for my onlookers, that all of a sudden they, they bagged a few more players during the course of negotiations, thereby up, you know, kind of increasing Increase. their influence and leverage well, over the deal. Also, I think that's it would what's, go. What's happening right now is like, it's all the tours are being valued, right? Like that's yeah. the peer. So how this, how their equity stake is determined is based off the valuation of the PGA tour, the DP world tour and live. And then yep. the investment added in there and like how it shakes out with, with the percentages. Right. So I now, don't think I, I assume there's a good faith verbal uh, yes. agreement. I want to be that, clear, but yes. if they went out and bagged a couple more players, that valuation of live is going to go up and their percentage of ownership is going to go up. Totally. So that provision, that like hard and fast provision in the agreement is now gone. Now, there is also that good faith. I want to be clear. That's like a pretty far-fetched hypothetical I'm throwing out there just kind of for my own amusement. There is a good faith part. We're negotiating good faith part at the bottom of the agreement that would seem to run as sort of an unspoken or implied you know, promise not to solicit each other's players i would think maybe it's not a hard and fast rule like there was and no longer is but i just think you know if you're a player all over the place the messaging they should be pissed like are we vulnerable or are we in control because you got both were they going to gut us or did we have everything squared up and we were we won on the courts and we're i think i think the the thing that the tour screwed up here is is not not positioning it as, as like a few things in this situation are true. We're vulnerable. We need to do this. And if we do this the right way, we will still retain control. But they never admitted the vulnerable piece, right? And then this hearing came out and it was like, oh, shit we're in a really bad spot. And so like their trust should be shattered. Yes. Uh, also another inconsistency I would point out in the Brendan Quinn article in the athletic, uh, this was now last week about some of the reporting. He suggested when they sat down for the first time in London, Yasser unprompted said where they were dropping litigation. That was the big bombshell for me in that report. This was before they had an agreement, before they were going to do any deal. Yeah, and, and Hurley and Dunn were apparently stunned. So now we have this after-the-fact justification that the legal costs were going to kill us. And we were getting killed on legal costs. Well, which one is it? Like, there's just it, there's, they're just kind of throwing everything at the wall right now. And I get like both things could be true. Like maybe he wouldn't actually drop the litigation, but we're just getting messaging that is counter and kind of inconsistent and sometimes straight up contradictory in some of these reports and in statements. It makes me also wonder about the um, just the the way Dunn was talking about how you know if they just picked off a few players every year thing right and you know with the litigation if you 
take that, the litigation dropped right off the bat, and it's not that, right? It's a it's a money, like, do we have yeah. the business model to sustain these high purses? Yeah. And are we are we at risk right now of losing more names? And that might have been the total the thing that pushed it over the edge where it had to be done. Totally. Because like I think the control was was seeping away, right? Yep. I just I think it's amusing to hear some of these litigation costs justifications sometimes as um and also that's that detail now being out there. But uh live was not going away. So it's just wild to think about where we were a year ago and this isn't good. Um it it's it's becoming more normalized by the day though. Like this the this is the state of play that we have to figure out how this deal is going to happen and and how it might work or might fall apart. So other quotes from uh Scotland Rory, I don't have it uh, word for word in front of me. He's like, if Liv was the only place to play on earth, I would retire. He was asked about that after his, uh, another good first round. He's, I think, six under. Uh, so I think that was specific to the nugget in the best of both worlds proposal where he would own a team and play 10 events. And yeah, he said, I'd rather retire. If, if there's literally nowhere else to play professional golf, I will not play, um, which was a, an interesting one. Yeah, that's, um, where, that's where the uh, the Tiger and Rory owning teams uh, on Wednesday very unlikely. <laughs> right? Well, I think. Well, there were a million. I, think, I believe mil- I've, I've rumor rumors are that Tiger has has some some thoughts on on just the Saudis, and and I don't think he's he would be very palatable to owning a live team. Well, the the amusing part of so many of that the proposals is like from the Saudis, like. It required third parties, not like just a PGA thing. The PGA tour can make happen with a deal, right? They can't just tiger Rory. That's a third party. Um, you know, some of the OWGR, I know there's collusion aspects of that. Some of the majors qualifications, like, I don't know, Jay can't just make the top 24 guys get in the U uh, S open. Uh, that doesn't work. Hey, but, can we uh, talk about the, you. talk about the big news of the week? persimmon drivers rory and the persimmon driver i knew you're going there i've had it I next mean, when we we're on quote roulette i found Go myself ahead. on just like a uh on an energy high since since seeing that tell. video just made my made my week um i can't believe they put the numbers out there well yeah i had i had obtained the numbers and i just wasn't sure what to yeah. do with them you know um i also Is that euro tour DP World Tour. I, I don't the know. PGA. PGA Tour tweeted it, but like, I mean, from what I've what I've been told, he absolutely flushed it. Yeah, this is a Wednesday practice round at Renaissance Scottish Open. They had a persimmon on hand, and Rory uh, hit it on the screws. I think he tweeted it. Yeah. He got it on the screws. So, absolutely flushed it. Another description of the shot. And it flew uh, 256 yards? Two, yeah, I was going to say 260, 256. Okay. All right, um, what was the spin rate? 4,400? 4,400. Ball speed's 168. That's an important note here, right? Yeah. yeah. He's using a modern golf ball, and uh, then he hits a, a modern driver, and it flies 316 yards. Spin rate was what? Two-something? So, yeah, something? so... Let's just like be real. This is not an optimized combo, right? It it now yeah. like it's a sixty-one yard difference. Sixty-one yards. 
from the best driver in the world, allegedly getting it on the screws and flushing it. Little club champion note. I recently went through a fitting and picked up 50 yards of carry from a person to my modern (laughs) paradigm driver. 50 yards. It's insane. I we played we had Cameron who who works for the Fried Egg played recently and he just made a comment in passing yesterday. He's like, I can't believe how far you're hitting that driver. You know? But like this is the thing. It's not athletics. It's not athleticism. I agree. Again, two things could be true. Uh, people like they, they are better athletes, and there's more better athletes now than ever before in the game. <clears throat> but we cannot just gloss over the role that equipment has played in this. This is It's insane. Being somebody that has played Persimmon and 70s Blades for like almost the last year and a half, I can tell you that it's massively different, and there's something so satisfying about about playing that equipment because you do feel like you're achieving something you feel. So recently I've gotten super into trail running. I, I live in an area where there are, there are like mountains to run in uh, copious amounts of trails. I really like to, to have something to talk about with my neighbors. I need to either mountain bike or trail run. And uh, I didn't want to buy a mountain bike or get a new neighborhood. Yeah. Or get a new neighborhood, but I, I love where I live. So I've been trail running and you know what? It's fucking hard. It's really hard. Like you're running up mountains, right? And it's funny because like what right after I saw Rory's comments this morning and I'll, I'll read them to you. Yeah, I got, yeah, go ahead. Um, did you, uh, did I see yesterday you play a uh, persimmon golf club playing, uh, was the question. Uh, has the game has the game got too easy for you with carbon and technology? Want to go back to old school? Rory, roll back the clubs, roll back the ball, roll back everything. I see John hugging, not, not John hugging, <laughs> nodding his head. <laughs> in, in agreement. Uh, yeah, yeah. So oh, yeah. good. <laughs> uh, <laughs> question. Can you learn something from that? Rory, I must say hitting a persimmon wood, you can't swing as hard at it as a 460 cc because you need to hit it in the middle of the club face and the persimmon wood looks as big as a golf ball. Um, but a friend of mine, John Morgan bought this old persimmon wood company and he's trying to make something of it. It's cool. It's a throwback. It's why we've got uh, different tee boxes. We can go a few tee boxes forward. If we want to play some old equipment every now and again, it's fun to do it. All right. So I think like, I've been like a road runner my whole life. And this trail running thing's been like interesting. Road running in Chicago is really easy. It's super flat. There's like, you know, it's just like you're you're counting miles, right? And in this yep. trail running thing, like the first thing was just like getting to the mountain, right? Yeah. Then it was like, can I run like a hundred yards up this uphill climb? You know? And then I have to walk, right? And like over the last few weeks, I've been doing it more and more, and I've been getting better and better. This morning, I ran all the way over and down the hill, right? Like, I went the whole trail running. And it was like an achievement. I had built up these skills, and I achieved something. And it's funny because, like, it feels similar to golf with, like, this journey of persimmon. Like, I went back to persimmon, right? I went back. I was playing, 
And it was amazing because it was like, I felt like the skills that I had earned over the years from hard work and, and practice and everything were being rewarded. Since going back to the modern clubs, it's fun. It's fun to fucking blast the ball. I mean, I have, but like in playing golf, like I see how much easier, how much sillier the game is. Like I can just, it's 380 yard par four. I'll bash the driver up there and get a little flip wedge in. Like I don't have to hit it in the center of the club face. Like I can make mistakes and still shoot good scores. It would be like, I think the thing is like, I've gone through this like recent process of like, building up stamina, building up skills, building up muscles to run over this hill. And I think about how much less satisfying it would be if I had shoes that helped me do it better, right? Like if I had like things that propelled and I could just like run in, in like, you know, like I felt you have to feel good. You have to be in this like, and I think that's the thing. It's like golf is better when you really have to think about hitting the ball well. And that's what Rory says here. Like he has to swing differently at it. He can't like, you can tell if you watch the swing, it's a dip. The golf swing looks different. You have to focus on hitting the ball solid, right? It is not just like a foregone conclusion and you can just go as fast as you can. Right. Yep. I, I agree. I mean, you're, you're hammering at like a pretty big topic with the sense of achievement and, and what like, course are easier it applies to cooking right there's sometimes easier ways to do it or more you know automatic or quicker ways to do it but sometimes the exper- experiment and experience of of working through it is more interesting um i i'm i'm with you i'm trying to like you can obviously see why a bunch of pros who are entitled do not aren't willing to indulge in the romanticism of achievement like that um, and they'd probably see it as, I don't know if you're a writer and all of a sudden they're taking away autocorrect or spell check or something like that. Or I, there's something that's, that makes it, makes their job, what they think to be harder as opposed, but, and we know we can push back on that. Like their skill will eventually win out, but they've worked under a set of circumstances to achieve what they've achieved. And they probably think you know, changing the goalposts is, I I guess was what they would put in middle of their middle of this sort of drive to achieve is what there would be their pushback or counter that. But, um, I think these numbers, I mean, pretty indicative and jarring of something. And for people that are like, Hey, Rory would still be, would be longer than everybody if they rolled it back. Oh, like, yeah, he's still going to be the longest player. Right. But the point of it is like, let's just say he gets everything optimized and and the persimmon flew 280 as opposed to 316. What everybody's missing here. Do you know how many more hazards are relevant at 280 versus 316 at golf courses? Think about what happens to Detroit Golf Club, right? Where... Like long hitters can just bypass the hazards. They just fly over all of them. That's what Bryson did a few years ago when we had Bryson and Matt Wolf. They just were hitting it over everything. If all of a sudden everybody has to deal with hazards, and sure, there are going to still be hazards that long hitters can bypass and short hitters can't. But right now, we're, we have so many courses that literally the long hitters just bypass all the hazards. 
and the shorter hitters can't. And that's the balance. That's where everybody's missing with their strokes gained analysis of like, well, you know, this is only going to make it's like, no, like right. the golf course architecture actually works when the ball doesn't go as far. Right. Like, like I can't. And like all these guys should have to play it to just understand how much more interesting of a game it is. And this is where I think the the USGA really, really needs to arrange like if they want this to work. They need to put their thumb on the scale and arrange a showcase like people. And and I know like they aren't going after the club head and it's a huge mistake. The club yeah, head is, coming out straight out says roll back the clubs, which I'm sure I don't know if Taylor made loves to hear, but the, but the, know, club the clubs, had a huge problem because that's yeah. where there an element of risk is involved with it, right? Like you can go at a persimmon, but like in the back of your head, you think when you go at it, I better hit this really good. <laughs> Could spin off the planet. I mean, I went at it on the first tee of Mirfield when I was half in the bag, or maybe in the bag. <laughs> Red eye. And I Lunch. popped it straight up into the air. <laughs> that was fun. But Video of that then there's also this whole thing of like, when you have great days driving it with a persimmon, the feeling after it, after the day is just like, yeah, I just, I just hit the shit out of this thing today. And it was awesome. And it's like, I have had, you know, you have those days with both sets of clubs. Right. And I can tell sure. you the persimmon right. feels a million times sweeter because you know that it wasn't easy, that it wasn't given to you. And, and so now with a modern driver, this is a great ad for club champion that wasn't planned or free. I literally like go to the golf course. I don't really wonder if I'm going to drive it well. It's a foregone yeah. conclusion that I'm going to hit the ball 300 yards and in playable spots and have tons of wedges into the green. You got Tiger and Rory would probably Rory now for sure. Tiger would agree. I'm pretty sure he talks about the skill of having to hit his his smaller head driver. And uh, but I don't think anything's going to be done. Right? Nothing's I mean, going to be the head done. is no, nothing's going with the club head. That's not. Going back, I just it was a it was awesome that they just posted the numbers because they do the this numbers. they do this exercise they did it at uh Colonial yeah they, they, they don't post school, the but numbers. they wouldn't yeah they just were like oh here's Blocky hitting an old wood and then they don't show you anything it's a tough day for all the all the all the people that have argued that it wouldn't make any difference and I like I do think like listen like those numbers it's important caveat those numbers would be way different if like if they got everything dialed in. Right. Where. But yeah, like a no, steel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The other aspect of it is like a steel shafted persimmon club head. You just can't swing as hard because it's heavy as shit. Yeah. You know, like yeah. that's, that's the other aspect of this is like the weight is a is a barrier to swinging really hard. Yep. Um, yep. All right. I've, I got to find. Our ad read here. Do we have an ad read? Gooder. Oh, gooder. You know, I lost my gooders, and the gooders I have right now are Tour de France. <laughs> I don't know why they're Tour de France. I got them because they look snazzy. 
the yellow, they come and then it says Tour de France. I love the way they look, but I'm like wearing them around. And like the people at the pool, like, are you a Tour de France enthusiast? It's like, no, I thought they were like kind of good looking yellow, sun, yellow slash blue sunglasses. So I got to get another pair to com- uh, compliment. They're a little flashier. I'll say that. I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm an older guy at this point. I'm pretty, pretty conservative, but uh, when it comes to colors, but uh, I got to get the, sort of the the pure, straight up like black or blue ones for uh, to to dial it down to complement my Tour de France sunglasses. Uh, and to do that, I'm going to go to gooder.com/sgs. Is that is that our name? SGS, right? We yeah. got gooder.com/sgs. Uh, you get free shipping. You also have a 30 day money back guarantee. There's any issue. Uh, you know them well. They've been friends of the program. This is about the easiest product. We don't need to push this. You know, sunglasses by and large are a ripoff, right? I mean, you lose wow. them, you break them, you crack them. You just what? Just throwing the whole sunglass industry under the bus. I'm know? not not the whole sunglass industry. I'm not throwing gooders. This is $25. If you bundle, I think you save a little bit more, right? Um, and, and, you know, you get the, you can choose polarized. They've got the circle ones. Didn't you get like the circle ones? The $9 originally? Your wife pot, made fun of you? over coffee. Yeah. So then she started wearing them. <laughs> Your wife was like, you can't pull those off, Andy. I was um, just trying something. I was trying something new. Well, you can. They're $25. Yeah. The nice thing about my wife is she'll check me whenever she thinks something's absurd. You know, the There's other day, are... the other day, I was I was wearing socks with my Crocs. I was wearing some some just mismatched shorts and shirt, and I was about to go outside. And she goes, "You can't be serious with that outfit." And I'm like, <laughs> oh, I get it. What? What's wrong? What? You know, I don't care. I get that. I get that all the time. You look like an idiot is what I usually get. A bucket hat on. I wore a Larry Johnson UNLV jersey to the pool on July 4th. My wife just wouldn't stop making fun of me. I teamed up with another dad who was also in a jersey there. Like, oh, you found a friend who also has a jersey on. Just the wives ripping on us, making fun of I get that nonstop. But I don't get it about my gooders. Even the Tour de France ones. You go to gooder.com slash SGS. All slip. No bounce when you're doing your little trail running boy, hip hopping up the hill. Uh, you could maybe wear your gooders. No I, bounce. I have worn them. No slip. So one Gooder. of the things my daughter likes to do is after I get done with a run, she's she's almost three. She she wants to go for a run. So we run around the block afterwards. And I'm running <laughs> gooders often around the block with my daughter. They don't bounce around. They're great. <laughs> Gooder.com slash SGS for free shipping. Um uh, all right, should we do uh, golf advice here? We should eventually get to this. SGSgolfadvice at gmail.com. Uh, I'm going to read one. I'm going to read one blind. I only read the first like few lines. I started laughing. Uh, speaking of Detroit Golf Club being overpowered, the title of this email is 313 Oh, I Pro-Am. read this one. Is it good? Yeah, I think no? it is good. Okay. Is this what you were going to do? Yeah, the one this is what I was going to do. All right. You can do it. I haven't re- a few weeks ago. I had the honor to caddy for my buddy in the Rocket Mortgage Program. Uh, second year doing so. Um, they got invited and they were paired with Mark Hubbard, a very, very nice and funny guy, and Andrew Landry, who we played with. With the last tee time off the back nine, 222, and the other three amateurs in the group showed up drunk to the first tee. One was more noticeably drunk than the others. 
This is terrible. If you were in a pro-am with PGA Tour players, I don't think I'd get shit-faced. I think that's probably a bad idea, bad move. Um, the drunkard rips a driver down the right down the middle and proceeds to yell, oh, fuck yeah, boys, right in front of 75 people, including kids. The rest of the nine was painfully slow. We were good one and a half holes behind the group in front of us. They were playing their own balls, and the amateurs, not my buddy, would search forever to try and find their balls and then want to putt out, even though they were putting for double or worse. We go to switch to the front nine to play with Landry. It's almost 5.30, so three hours to play nine. 5.30 pro-am, you still got nine so, to go. Just a quick juxtaposition. Landry yeah. versus Hubbard. We're talking like polar opposite personalities. Oil and water. I think it would be okay to be shit-faced with Mark Hubbard. Seems like it. Yeah, but I mean, first tee when you're dropping the f bomb, screaming it at the top kids, of your lungs. Terrible. Yeah, you know the worst part about this is like you're guilty by association in the group. Right, right. Am I part of this clown show? Am I being lumped in with this clown show? Um. All right. So they go to they go to Landry. Uh, Five thirty. Landry hits his tee shot. I apologize in advance for the other three amateurs who are still drunk, and he was not impressed. Come to find out, the three other amateurs stopped in the clubhouse and sat down to eat the buffet, which, of course, is for after the round. Landry wants to get done before dark and has dinner reservations, so my buddy and him are the only ones who play the first hole, our tenth of the day. One by one, the buffet eaters rejoin our group, with the really drunk guy joining us on the third tee. He just so happens to have a cooler bag with six high noons in it. He walks down the fairway holding the bag in one hand and a, and a beverage in the other. He continues to rip F-bombs and leaves behind his, his drinks on the green as he three putts for double or worse. Landry's not impressed and says something to a volunteer. Fast forward to the seventh hole, two cards come out and they take the drunkard off the course. I guess my question for advice would be, are any of his actions justifiable? The drunkard who got kicked out was invited by blank, a big gambling book, partner of the tour, and blank a big gambling book employee was his caddy one of the big sports books partners of the tour it didn't ruin my buddy or my my day but because the others were so slow but my buddy took it upon himself to play faster which he shouldn't have had to do he's a 12 handicap and played about bogey golf on the day we had drinks during the round but nothing like the other guys was landry right for saying something to a volunteer that ultimately led to the drunk guy getting booted um this is from a friend i won't name him the friend of the program uh, who I've never met. Uh, yes, you're I, look, Andrew Landry can be a bit of a killjoy tight ass. Fine. Maybe that's how he is. I think this had progressed to the point of his actions being within reason. Did they have to be done? Probably not, but I think it's within reason to have, this guy who's running around the course, leaving his drinks on the green, screaming the F-bomb to be uh, escorted off with whatever, three or four holes to go. I think the miss was not having him escorted off on the first hole. Yeah. I mean, I think like it's a PGA Tour Pro-Am. It's yeah, not there's a kids around. bachelor party. I don't want to be just, like, this is so much different than of a setting than it like. Have fun. Don't be an idiot, though. It's 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 out of control. I mean, this is a like I a, here. Listen, listen. The PGA Tour Pro Am. It's 
I think it would be I think it would be hard to have fun with Andrew Landry in any setting. Okay. I took a sip at a bad time there. What a statement. I agree. But I think it would be exponentially harder to have fun with Andrew Landry if you were shit-faced than if you were like somewhat coherent. I'm, well, I would the- probably have most fun with Andrew Landry in a conversation if I had had maybe two or three drinks where, I, where I'm talkative and I'm, I'm going to... I'm gonna fire him some oddball questions, but like the worst, the spot. worst thing you could be is just piss drunk. Well, I think the worst spot is to be this guy, the caddy and the sober yes. guy, having to balance Andrew Landry and these drunk guys that you you were stuck playing with. That's the worst spot to be. In. Uh, but yes, he's within reason, I think, to have him escorted away. Um, all right, next one, uh, Chipping Green Monopolist. I write this from atop the singles queue at a very popular golf course in my city. The course has a moderate-sized chipping green with five flags. There's a guy here with a shaft. So this is from on-site, just whipped out this email in anger. There's a guy here with a shag bag of about 20 to 25 balls, and he's chipping his whole bag of balls lawn-wise diagonally across the green. My experience here is pretty limited, but I was always of the mind that for a small green like this, the respectful thing is to hit three or four balls, retrieve them, and do it again. But this guy is going rapid fire across the green and nobody here can really get onto the green to retrieve their balls. Obviously, myself and the other two guys trying to chip here are too cowardly to say anything. So we're just hitting 10 foot chips to the other side of the green. There's not a lot of public courses in this area that even have decent chipping greens. So I get that the guy wants to get some work in. But come on, man. It's a holiday weekend at a busy course. Am I insane to think this is ridiculous and should be outlawed? I might be particularly annoyed because this guy is hitting three fourths, three quarters of his shots to kick in range. And I've got a case of the yips worse than I've ever experienced. Um, and then he attached a photo <laughs> of himself in front of a bonus photo in front of Roy Sabatini winning the uh, Canadian <laughs> Open or Air Canada Championship. So uh, <laughs> good email from Jeff. All right. Chipping Green Monopolist. What do you make of this guy? Um. I mean, listen, like this is this is one of the the toughest things about being a public golf course player, right? Yeah. Finding practice facilities, finding a place you can chip. Like when I was living in the city and, and grinding, um this was like my my thing that I would love to do is I would go practice short game. For those in Chicago, I would go to Harborside or I'd go to Ravislow. Um, because they had you know, like chipping greens and I could really stretch my legs out. Cantini, another place I would go, but like I would, you know, I'd go to a golf course for three hours and two of them I would spend on the chipping green. Right. And so I, I, I think there's a balance here. I would try and go on non busy times, like super early in the morning or something or late in the afternoon but if there's if there is a lot of people around, you need to have some etiquette. There needs to be an understanding, and it's it's a nonverbal understanding of what you're working on. You should be able to look at somebody and understand what they're doing, right? The issue mm-hmm. is when people have like this, you know, and I get it, like you're doing practice where you're hitting different shots, different times. But when when it's busy, you have to go to block practice where you're doing like what like I'm hitting out of this bunker to this whole location, this part of the green. I'm hitting from this fairway or the rough 
to this whole location. That's how it has to be when it's busy. Now, like if you're going to be doing big practice like this guy was doing, you have to wait. People come and go, right? People come yeah. and go, and it's all an ebb and flow. Common space. It's yeah. like it'd be like if you had people over and you laid across a couch. Like that's not cool, right? Like if if there aren't anybody around, if there isn't anybody around, you can lay across the couch. But if you if you invite your friends over to watch a game, you can't monopolize the main seat, right? Yeah, it I needs to be it needs to be a three person couch at that point. Right, just this is the chipping green and a couch is a good metaphor. Good, good analogy, yeah. You know, we share a world, Andy. We share a world with other human beings, and it just sometimes you got to have some sense about that, some etiquette. I just don't like. Yeah, this guy's. It makes me want to chip, world. to be completely honest. I that's the maybe uh, the only thing I really great. miss about practicing golf is yeah. is like the therapy of spending like two hours on a chipping green, and then like the the day the a week later when you're playing golf and you have a really really tough chip and you just hit it to like six inches and you're like yeah you know i've been working on that yeah um all right do we want to do one more sure what do we want to do all right this it? looks like a you want fun it? one i could do it i haven't read it yet but it looks like a fun one. <laughs> yeah. high school this golf is, match this, this is a uh, tricky opponent in a cart Hey guys, I have an SGF golf advice question from the Wayback Machine. In the fall of 1994, I was a pretty good junior golfer in my senior year of high school in the Philly suburbs. I was a public course player and a bit of chip on my shoulder, competing in junior PGA and GAP events, Golf Association of Philly, against kids from all these great Philly private clubs. So keep that in mind. Back then, high school golf in suburban PA was match play, 12-hole Nassau, with six players from each school in the lineup. I played number one for my school, and our league was loaded with great players in my time, including a Rolex Junior Player of the Year. The big match circled on the schedule for that season was against the returning state champion, a senior, let's call him Adam, at a school that bordered mine. My working-class high school is incredibly fortunate to have Huntington Valley Country Club, former site of a fried egg event, as our home course for our matches. It's still my favorite course. Uh, membership there in the 90s was awesome and allowed three high schools to use the course. Amazing, wow. right? So as I'm warming up on the day of the big match against the defending state champ, my coach, a great guy, tells me that Adam is coming off a foot injury and is going to drive a cart during the match. My draw dropped. It's early September, 90 plus degrees, stifling humidity. We're wearing school issued terry cloth polos and thick cotton khakis. That's 90s for attire. And Huntington Valley is, of course, with a flat without a flat hole on the property. Yeah, that is a that is a hilly terrain. I'm stunned at this time. I'm a pretty good athlete playing golf. Adam is a dweeby nerd who is best suited for AP Calc. All right, all right. He's a golf. He's also a golf machine. I can hit it thirty yards by him, but he never misses. Always makes par. He's a par-making junior golf cyber. Hold on. Course, I, re- let me just push back right away here. What? This guy is the reigning state champion. Yeah. All right, I get there's some physical aspect, but let's not act like you're like you know in another league of talent. Like he's right, making he's it up. Just describing he's, their physical yeah, appearance. But guess what? The guy's the, the, the guy's hole. better than you. He's just flat out better we'll than see. you. We'll see. He's got the working class chip on his shoulder. I, I understand well, that, but sometimes you have to acknowledge that like he's better than you. Uh, of course, my immediate reaction. This is again to the cart. 
is to call bullshit. This isn't an ADA thing. He's not disabled. His foot just hurts. The previous summer, I broke my fifth metatarsal swimming and limped around the course my whole junior year. But I trust my coach implicitly and would never question him. I just say, okay. If anything, the decision to let him ride a cart fires me up at first, and I beat him like a drum on the outward six, winning the point plus three on those six holes. I was minus two to par uh, and playing great golf. Now, if you had told me that morning that I would take a point from Adam that afternoon, I would have said, awesome, great job by me. But now I wanted the whole thing, and you know how this is going to end. We have, the seventh and, <laughs> we have the seventh and eighth holes, and I'm thinking there's no way I lose this match today. Maybe he steals the inward six, but the match is mine. Nope. I play 9, 10, 11, and 18 at six over, lose all four holes, and lose the match 2-1. It's haunted me my whole golfing life. I know I choked, but I'm also mad at the 17-year-old version of myself who didn't say, F that, he's not riding in a cart. If it had been their number four player in the lineup or hell, if it had been me, I'm sure nobody would have made the cart accommodation. But Adam was the defending state champ and his dad was the head uh, involved. Somebody in the Philia area country club. What should I have done when my coach told me about the cart? The competitor in me wanted to beat him and do it with no excuses. But the working class kid in me who shagged his own golf balls at the range and never took a lesson during those teenage years feels like he got taken advantage of by the money big shots that have always ruled over Philly golf. What was the right play? All right. First things first. You played like shit and got beat. You can always Nine, look 10, in the mirror. You can always look in the over. mirror. You played six over coming in against the one of the best players in the area. You're not gonna win. You're just not gonna win. This wasn't about him being in a cart or not. It was about you not playing well. All right. And I now, like, going back to, like, should he have been in the cart? Yeah. You know, that. I think you bring up good points about this. But as for the match, you lost the match. It's a good point. He, he I mean, when he gets to the details of kind of, he says he choked. But there's that regret of, should he have spoken out about the cart? I think there's also the notion that he talks about being... It fired him up, and maybe he may yeah. have played better on the outwards. That's six, the thing. Seems like he's motivated by a chip on his shoulder. This gave him a chip. Sounds like a competitive fella, too. And you could see how he'd be, cha- you know. What cha- do you think? What do you, do you think? I mean, I don't think the kid should be allowed to use a cart. Do I think the match should be, like, null and void now? Or I... I the kid probably shouldn't have been in a cart because his foot hurt. If that's really the, how it was, I, you know, we're going off this emailer's word. Um, but he he played poorly coming in. I mean, that seems like pretty cut and dry, right? And it's not because of the cart necessarily. So, um, all right. Anything else? We good on that one? That's our. That's uh, it. Do you have any? You got one to throw out there? Well, SGS golf advice. What you yeah. got one? I don't know. Short one. I don't, I don't, I read one other one. I don't. You want to do it? No, I don't really want to. I, I think we're good. Fifty minutes. We've got a lot of cheating emails, handicap shenanigans. We'll get to some of these. Uh, public range police. We'll get get some of these over time. All right, everyone, enjoy your weekends. Uh, the open is nigh. Link season. Coffee golf all weekend. We'll be back on Monday to recap the Scottish Open and get ready for the, uh, the British Open. Talk to you then.